0: Hello, and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Hello, empaths. Welcome to our community connection show, where we get to share with you all some questions and stories that you all have sent in to us. So sit back and relax and join us around the virtual table.
1: Denise, would you like to start us off? I'd love to. This is a really quick question. Can my fear or anxiety influence my card readings I do for myself? Can you explain how this works? Oh, hell yes. Because I think that when we're looking for a certain answer or we're anxious or we, this falls into that category of, oh, I must not have asked the question right, or I better throw it again, or let me double check it with this. If you catch yourself in that place, then you're not going to be as clear a conduit for the messages coming through. It also falls under that the, the premise of any divination, whether we're doing it for ourselves or for someone else, is always subject to change and free will. And it's the energy around you right at this moment. So if you're kind of an anxious hot mess, that might influence what the cards are bringing through for you. What do you think?
0: Oh, I agree. I just don't understand how that works, you know, like how how are these cards made by US Games going, oh, she's anxious today. Let's throw up a bunch of reverse cards for her. Like, I don't know how it works, but it does. What I think helps a lot when you're in that anxious state is to follow some of the protocols for approaching a card reading, you know, where you ground yourself. You really center and calm your energy through some deep breathing or meditative exercises. You relax your muscles, you awaken your chakras, and you say your prayer of intent for that reading where you call on your higher self, your higher guides, your higher power to surround you and help you receive the best guidance you need at that time. I think that can help
1: a lot. That's a really, really good point because you should have some kind of a a ritual or a practice when you're starting to do any kind of a reading or any type of divination so that you're giving the heads up to spirit. Okay, I'm ready to to work now or I'm ready to be a clear conduit for what you want to bring through.
0: Yes, exactly. Okay, our next one says, I've been listening to your podcast on my way to work every morning. I'm drawn to the ones about dreams, which made me really start to think about two recurring dreams I've had as a child into my early teens. One, as a very young child, was as if it was way back in the past with knights and such. There was a huge pyramid and this evil-like man with his crew of soldier-like men standing around, and he would take some children and would hold them over this pit of fire that was what seemed like an endless drop and would sacrifice them. I don't know if I was one of the babies or if I was witnessing this, but I would have this dream often until I started having the one where I was a young teen, and I had to walk down the aisle of church between all the pews with this log-like piece of wood that was over my neck and shoulders, where my arms somehow reached behind and over them. I never made it down the aisle, though, and there was never anyone in the church. As I have embraced my spirituality in the past few years and accepted my gifts, those dreams have been coming to mind after not thinking about them for a long time. I'm now 49 and I can still see the visions from those two dreams as if I had them the night before. I stopped having those dreams in my teenage years. I have a feeling that they are past lives that I'm dreaming about, but would love to get some insight from both of you. I think the fact that the first recurring dream this listener had as a child and it was about something traumatic and awful happening to a child. And then as, as he or she became a teen, then the dream was a teenager having this i think that was part of the humiliation they would do where they would you know you'd have to put your hands over that wooden log in front of the public of the village and so the fact that the age line matched up does make me feel that these are past life memories and they're very traumatic ones and that's often what happens is our soul will remember the highlights and the lowlights of past lives. And so if we're still working through some of those issues, right around the same time that occurred in the past life is when we might have these dream experiences. And it's a way of of us healing them, to recall them and to remember, I am safe now. So to me, these do sound like past life dreams. What do you think?
1: I agree. And it could also be indicative of something that's happening in this person's life now that is they need to heal that or they're feeling uh, victimized or ostracized or humiliated it could be reflective of and they're revisiting those same feelings that they had experienced in that other life. maybe not to the same degree as burning pits of fire, but there's something of those are those are dark dreams. those are heavy.
0: Yeah, yeah, especially for a little person
1: right. My goodness. And it makes sense of of starting to wake up that they would come back again.
0: And I don't know why dreaming about it often is sometimes enough to release it. You know, I had a friend who was really struggling with some infertility issues and, you know, they did IVF and nothing was working. And she started having these dreams where she was a concubine. And every time she delivered a baby the head of the concubines i guess would would take the child from her so she could still be a concubine to this i guess emperor and just having that dream you know i don't know what it did but within the year she was pregnant naturally so i think she had this soul level fear of oh if i get pregnant and give birth the child will be taken from me because that was her past life experience and just dreaming it and giving voice and recognition to it was enough to heal that for her
1: oh that's a very good point it's fascinating isn't it it really is our next one i recently listened to your episode on how do you sense energy and spirits as i was listening i noticed i've experienced all of the senses in various varying degrees one of the most jarring senses i've experienced is clairaudience. This has happened a few times to me, most recently just about a month ago. I'll be sleeping in my bed at night and literally wake up to the sound of someone saying my name. It's a calm, even keel voice and is very clear. I've become somewhat used to this, so I usually wake up. My brain registers what happened, and I smile and quickly fall back asleep. The next day, I'll wake up and realize what happened and regret that I hadn't tried to connect or investigate more. I also see angel numbers daily get ringing in the absence of sound in my ears. I've been told by two separate psychic mediums that Archangel Ariel is with me always and I'm connected to her in some way. My question is, if you think these occurrences are all connected, what should I do the next time I wake up to hearing my my name? Do you have any book recommendations connecting with angels? I feel like some being is trying to connect with me, but I'll admit I'm having a hard time fully letting it in due to fear. Well, I do think it's all connected. I think that it's it's cool as all out to get such clarity and to hear that uh, objective, clear audience from an outside source rather than subjective where you hear it in your head. It also, the other physical things that she mentioned, the absence of sound, the ringing, um, you know, having... Different things happen in her life that do that. And I agree, when you wake up in the night, think, oh, it's similar to, I'll remember this dream and you don't write it down and then it's gone by morning. As far as, this person made a very good point of, it's a calm, even keel voice. It's very clear. There's nothing uncomfortable. She's smiling. So I, I think that as far as trying to connect with you 100%, But it doesn't feel like there's anything to be afraid of. It feels very comforting and protective.
0: Yeah, I think these are all signs of going through a spiritual awakening. Often the ringing in the ear and the absence of sound in one ear is what's called a spiritual download, where you are being subconsciously downloaded information that is needed for your spiritual growth. And it tends to come to the conscious awareness when you're ready for it. Your name being called, often that is your spirit guide trying to wake you up or your angel so that you can remember a dream or that you know you can wake up and recognize that something is going on. I think we always have to go by our feelings. And so just like you said, Denise, since this felt positive you know positive and peaceful to her, then you know that's a good thing. I was just talking to a young woman who has been waking up to hearing her name shouted at her. And on the third day, she saw in the morning in broad daylight, a ghost walk into her bedroom and go into her bathroom. And I said to her before she told me about the ghost, I said, how did you feel every morning when you woke up to your name being shouted? And she said, I was terrified. It felt very um, kind of anxious and and upset, the voice. And then she saw the ghost. So, th- so Hearing your voice called isn't always a positive thing and isn't always a negative thing. You have to look at what your intuition is telling you. And as far as books, there's some great books on angels by Flower Newhouse. Lorna Bine I think, has some of the best books on working with angels. Rita Berkowitz has a wonderful one. It's got a terrible title, but it's part of that series. It's The Idiot's Guide to Connecting with Your Angels. But it's filled with a ton of wonderful exercises to link in with, with your, um, your guardian angel.
1: That's wonderful.
0: Okay. Our next one says, I'm looking for feedback on a recurring dream that takes place in the same location, but different events take place. However, constant is the feeling I have when in this location. It's almost impossible to describe. The closest thing I can use to describe it is home or comfort, warm and familiar. The dream always takes place in an underground cavern or lake. The walls are made of what I assume to be granite and the water is blue, turquoise and clear as can be. I can always see the stones on the bottom. Whoever runs this place has built a walkway above with a door. There are always people there swimming and playing. It seems to be open to the public and full of joy, but very quiet. No one talks. The funny thing is this place is always located underneath the National Cathedral. A beautiful hall with an elevator is on the bottom floor, and it takes you down to the entrance of this mystical place. In my dreams, I'm always telling my sisters or friends about it, and no one ever knew it existed. However, the people who are there seem to be regulars. I don't know what this means. I have a few guesses, but it is a little unclear. The cathedral does hold personal significance to me as my paternal grandparents lived a few blocks away from it. I lived a couple of blocks from it in college. And as a kid, my family and I used to go all the time to the bishop's garden when we'd visit for Easter or Thanksgiving. One more dream that I had last night was particularly curious to me. In my dreams, someone, maybe spirit guides, were telling me I am a steward of darkness or the way they described it was, I hold people's darkness or sadness for them and my other job is to give people light. The image they gave me was literally handing out goodie bags of light to people. Do you suppose this was a message from my guides and what is your take on these dreams? I should mention that I am 100% going through a spiritual awakening right now and trying to connect with my guides. Wow. Look at the vividness in that dream, Denise.
1: Isn't that amazing? It is. And so many fun things, colors and water and symbolism and cathedrals. I love it. I absolutely love it. I do too.
0: I don't think that this place actually exists underneath the National Cathedral, but hey, what do I know? I think the the National Cathedral is a symbol of connection to home, to family, to familiarity, to help her soul feel comfortable when she visits this place on the other side. The water and everyone's swimming in it, and it's so peaceful and comforting. You take that and then you take the more recent dream she had, right? Where she's a steward of darkness, helping helping to kind to me, it sounds like she's helping to cleanse people of some darkness in them. Well, if you hold darkness for people, right? If you're like a sponge and your job is to, you know, help absorb some of that from other people you would have to visit a place like this to clean all of that off. That's what I think this is. I think that maybe her her guides are right and she really is a steward of darkness and she helps to kind of exchange some people's darkness for more light. And then she goes to this beautiful place on the other side, swims in these healing waters and is cleansed of all that she's accumulated from other people throughout her conscious day. What do you think of that take?
1: (laughs) I do. I like that take. I also love the the line about goodie bags of light. That's a great visual.
0: It really is. It really is. And it, and it's something we can all do. I, re- I remember this powerful dream I had where my guides were telling me, if you simply walk throughout your day and ask that blessings be bestowed on that person you're passing or that person who's ringing you up or that person who's in the car next to you at the stoplight, how much beautiful, powerful effect that can have. So I do think we all can be stewards of light and hand out these goodie bags of light by simply asking for the people around us to be blessed or to visualize light around them. And I I think it's great that she's having confirmation of
1: this in, in her dreams. Our next one says, my mother used to call psychic hotlines and I was always fascinated with the idea of psychics. But I felt like those hotlines were fake and a huge waste of money. Church never worked for me. Then I dated an atheist for a while, which really messed with my head. I had no divine belief system at all for most of my young life and felt extremely alone as a child. I wanted to believe that God existed because everyone else seemed to, but I couldn't. Just couldn't get there. I finally had a close sentient moment in 2003 when I was going through a very hard time, crying on my bed. And then suddenly. I felt a warm blanket laid over me, and I just knew God existed. That was it. It was that simple. I was wide awake. It was real, and I can still feel that blanket wrapped around me if I stop and think back to that moment. I was touched by an angel, I believe. From that moment on, I didn't wonder anymore and started looking for answers that made sense to me. I found Sylvia Brown's book, The Other Side, and I was hooked. Finally, something that resonated with me. After that, I found Hay House Radio, then Coast to Coast AM, and the world was suddenly in color for me for the first time in my life. I've been studying it on my own since then, but I finally just signed up for my first spiritual development course in July. It's too soon for me to come out of the closet and start practicing yet. It's a long story. Plus, I don't know what my modality will be. Anyway, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for this podcast. I feel surrounded by my guides all the time, but I'm not able to communicate directly with them. I have to rely on signs and synchronicities right now. I only have one teacher friend who is kind of like me and I don't know her well. I'm super anxious to find my tribe, but I have to focus on other things right now. No time for friends. I'm a high school counselor and I relate to so very much of what you both say. I'm also very normal, but I live in the suburbs of Houston in a very conservative area. I feel like I have to hide my true self and pretend to fit in so I don't lose my job. My job is dependent on my judgment. And I'm pretty sure my bosses would think I'm crazy if I start really opening up and showing people who I am. They may think I was trying to brainwash their kids or perform evil spells or something. Who knows? It's so hard, by the way, to talk to these kids and know that I can't really help them in the way I want. I want so badly to talk to them about being an empath because I know I have many, but I feel like I have to keep my mouth shut since they are minors. I only have spiritual discussions with them if they bring it up first, and even then I'm careful about what I say. Well. Thank you for listening. And I'm so glad that whatever we've brought through has been helpful for you on your path. That's pretty much our default is why we keep doing this is to hopefully help other people realize we're not alone on this journey. As far as psychic hotlines, I think that's the same as calling psychics. There are some that are good. There are some that are not. And I am always really, really concerned when there is such a ridiculous rate that someone's asking you to pay per minute or they, there are certain devious practices where they'll try to keep people on the line for a certain amount of time in order to get their numbers up. And I, I think that's morally and ethically horrible. It's a horrible thing to do to people, especially it can become a very addictive practice, which we had talked about in, in a different episode. What I love is you went through church. You went through all of these different things. And then you found what resonated for you and it, all the pieces started to come together. So congratulations, it's just incredible that you found that within yourself and that you felt it and you trusted it. And if this goes back to there's always something that kind of gets our toe in the door and you got it through Sylvia Brown's book, which led to Hay House, which led to Coast to Coast. It, you, If the synchronicities and signs have been following you the whole time, I think you are connecting with your guides. I think that the signs and synchronicities are a way that they're presenting to you. Um, And as far as needing to stay in the closet to protect yourself, I completely understand that and respect that. And one thing you may, you're, you're being incredibly conscientious of not overstepping bounds, but with with minors and also in a conservative area. But you're right, they'll open up to you and holding space for people to express what they believe in a non judgmental place. You may be having more of an impact than you realize.
0: That's what I took away from this, because you can say a lot of spiritual things without saying spiritual things. Does that make sense? Like, you don't have to say like, oh, you have three guides around you and they're really helping you with this math test, right? Like, But you can say you have so much love and support around you that you probably aren't even aware of and you're going to get through this. And so I do think that that she is probably doing everything she's being asked to do. And it, it just feels during those spiritual awakening moments, you can feel so alone. Like, where is my spiritual tribe? And who can I talk to this weird stuff with? You know, that can be very, very hard. And I think I, well, I hope shows like ours, but I, I know listening, I, I used to listen to a house radio when it was live. And do you remember that years ago? Now it's totally gone, but I know in the early years that helped me a lot. Just listening to other people call in and, and share stories that were similar to mine and going, "Oh, I'm not alone. And other people have those same thoughts and other people are trying this or looking into that too. And that was really, really helpful. Something else that helped me a lot was taking a ton of classes. So if if you're able to, you know, find a class an intuitive development class, a meditation class, um, a Reiki class, whatever resonates with you, I'm not saying you have to like you know meet your best friend at that class, but it is nice just to be in that energy of like minded thinkers. I found that to be very comforting.
1: And if you're in a conservative area, I'm thinking about a group that I worked with recently and. One person was very adamant. I am in the closet, I'm staying in the closet. It's I'm fine with that. I can't let this leak into my real life at this point, but was able to build such a strong community of support in an online venue. So that's one positive thing that has come out of the mess of the last few years is it's interconnected us all on a global level. You may not have that option right in your neighborhood, but there are a lot of people just like you, Looking for you in that comfort as
0: well. Mm, so well said. Okay, our next one says After reading Samantha's fabulous book, The Awake Dreamer, wow, thank you. I began making an effort to remember and record my dreams, and I've noticed a pattern. There is a recurring pattern of three people, two men and a woman, coming to my house. The first time they went to the east side of the house and stayed working outside. In the second dream, they came to the west side of the house and again worked outside. In the third dream, I saw them coming up from the driveway. I hid because I didn't want to let anyone in. They came to the north side of the house and walked in through the sliding glass doors without knocking. I was angry and demanded to know what they were doing in my house and what they wanted. The apparent leader, one of the men, acted indignant that I would be angry. He didn't answer, but acted as if I should be grateful they were there. I persisted in asking him what they wanted. Ted Danson appeared at the sliding doors and walked in. I appealed to him. He sued things between me and the headman and I left the room to deal with another issue in the cellar. I was having two art pieces framed and a man was working on them there. There were two collage pieces in the shape of hearts. One was whole and the other I had done as half a heart and wanted to be sure the framer understood my intention. I was then in a sort of cafeteria with a lot of people sitting at tables. It was well lit and I felt safe and happy. There was miscommunication between people sitting at the tables. Some would think another person was talking to them, but not notice when someone was actually talking to them. We all ended up laughing about it. I became aware that I had beautiful eyes and thought, I wonder what my life would be like if I had such beautiful eyes. I should note that before this last dream, I had done a meditation and set an intention to meet my spiritual team. Did I invite them in? They were so ordinary looking, and I definitely did not care for the head man. I found him arrogant and imperious. They sure didn't feel like what I expected in a spiritual team. Perhaps that is why the image of Ted Danson appeared. I immediately felt safe and appealed to him for help, which he did. I am encouraged that I've been able to remember my dreams. I have struggled with this for a while and am encouraged that I'm starting to see patterns. Now I wish I understood what it means. Okay, well, that is really interesting because we've got a lot of symbolism here. We've got these people, first they're outside, then they just walk right in. That, and you don't want them there, and you don't feel comfortable with them there. You hid from them. The head guy made you feel very, very uncomfortable. These are not your spiritual guides, in my opinion, because- you would know and you would feel comfortable and you would your soul would recognize them so this could be a symbol of boundaries that are not being set in your life because in dreams our home is represents our body right like like our the shell of what holds our soul the house holds the people inside of it and so to me this is a a message that there is some boundary with either three people in your life or three areas of your life that maybe you are not setting the strongest intention that you could. The fact that you went down into the cellar, the basement, that is often indicative of our subconscious and you are working on collages of a heart. That means, you know, again, in my opinion, that you're working on putting pieces together of self-love and you're working in the basement, meaning you're working at the deep, rooted self-centeredness of yourself. You had this other dream where everyone was miscommunicating, but you realized you had beautiful eyes. To me, this is about how maybe you haven't always gotten messages that you are love, loving, and lovable, but you're starting to. That miscommunication is going to clear away and you're going to be able to laugh it off as you put together these collage pieces of your beautiful heart and recognize that not only do you have beautiful eyes, but you are a beautiful soul and you are here to do beautiful work on this on this beautiful planet. And yeah, I would agree that Ted Danson came in as a symbol of your guide. And the more you continue to work with your dreams, I bet you'll be able to see how your guide actually looks. You know, Maybe he is Ted Danson, Denise, right? What do I know? Maybe Ted Danson is a night worker.
1: (laughs) Maybe. I was trying to figure out if it was Ted Danson from Cheers or from The Good Life.
0: Me too.
1: (laughs) Me too. That was a beautiful explanation. Thank you. I have absolutely nothing I can add to that. That was incredible. Our next one, I need your insight, please. I'm a school counselor. A woman did a presentation for our district a few years ago. The slogan that came out of that presentation is, You Matter. Since then, we keep getting things thrown in our direction with that slogan, and now my team wants to buy a shirt with that slogan on it. It's very triggering for me. I feel like it's a lie. Despite what our bosses say to us, their actions basically tell us that we don't matter over and over and over. We're expected to do more and more every year. I'm very burned out. What they expect us to do, in my opinion, is not really helping the kids. It's just enabling them. And I feel like they're mostly just trying to cover their butts and keep from getting sued. I constantly feel very frustrated in my school and now they want me to pay for a shirt with a slogan on it that completely infuriates me. And in a color that I don't like, I might add, I don't wanna buy it. I don't want that slogan on my body or anywhere near me. Am I just being difficult? I haven't said anything to them yet. Should I keep my mouth shut and just wear the stupid shirt or should I speak up and say something? And if so, what in the world do I say to that? I'm not sure I even know how to put my feelings into words. Well, hell no, you just put your feelings into words beautifully. And, and it feels like you are so done with the, I'm, I'm behaving myself here, so done with the BS. And I, I was a teacher of all grade levels, varying abilities for decades of my life. There are some incredible, thoughtful, kind, devoted people I was blessed to work with. And there were some that never should have been allowed to be around children. As in any industry, there's a spectrum. And I can, I'm not, I empathize with your frustration and with feeling pressured into doing things that may not align with what you believe and feel because my gut feeling in my heart is that you're there for the kids. You're there to make a difference. You're there to hold space and to be uh, an empowering school counselor. And the bureaucracy is getting in the way of that.
0: I can't believe they're making them pay for the t shirts. <laughs> you know, like where's that money going to? It's so hard. You know, in our district, they just bought laptops for every single student. Brand new laptops for every, maybe it's just high school. I shouldn't say every student, but I thought, wow, like, could, could they not have given some of this to the teachers and, and, or the school counselors and a nice bonus. But I think also Denise and, you know, you guys might roll your eyes at me whenever something triggers me like this. I always have to pause and think about it in different ways. Right. So the you matter thing okay, clearly this person does not feel like they matter at this school, but maybe you can look at this triggering thing as a way of thinking, I do matter. I matter like hell to these students. They they need me. You know, I'm doing good work for them. And this district, this board of ed, whatever might not appreciate it, might not be showing any appreciation. However, I know that I matter in the job that I'm doing and try to own that phrase rather than looking at it as, what it really does embody to you, which is everything that's making you frustrated in your job. And I'm not saying that in a Pollyanna way. I'm saying that in, in a, in a way to act as a bridge, right? So look at this trigger as how can I find some positivity in this, but also look at this trigger as, huh, is this spirit's way of nudging me to move forward in a new direction?
1: Right. That was the, what I was feeling as well because this feels like it's been building for quite a while it doesn't feel like it's just the shirt and and I agree it's um I'm never a big fan of well surprise surprise I don't do well with when everybody wears the same thing or does the same thing I I think individuality and self-expression is a beautiful thing um but I agree with you a hundred percent that there's something more, and if it's if it's triggering that much, then there may be something else. And if there, we don't know. This person may be in a rural area, and there's not another job available. They may be the primary care, uh, you know, fi- financial support for their family. There's so many variables that we might not know of. But when it starts to hit your moral compass, or it starts to become something in any work environment that is wearing you down, you have to start to say, is this where I need, where I belong? And is this where I can, because the the beautiful part is there are always kids that are going to need your help that you'll be able to help. It just might not be there.
0: Well said. Okay. Our next one says, the woman in my family have always been intuitive, but I believe much of it was tampered down due to our evangelical Christian upbringing. But it was always there, just beneath the surface, conveyed in stories from both my mother and my grandmother. One of my favorite memories was when I was living in Canada. My family lived in Texas. I was in my early 20s, pregnant with my second child, and had just found out that my then-boyfriend was cheating on me. I didn't dare tell my family out of shame, and I was crying uncontrollably. Suddenly, my phone rang. And before I could even answer, my grandmother immediately asked, what's wrong? For me, it started when I was three. I had awoken to see an oval mirror at the foot of my bed, the Victorian full-length kind that sits on its own legs. What was peculiar about this mirror is that it was glowing red. And I didn't have a mirror like that in my room at the time. I remember jumping out of bed, running past the mirror, sprinting down the hall to my father's room. He just curled me into his big arms and let me sleep with him that evening. He said it was a dream, but even at age three, I couldn't fathom how I could have run past something that wasn't there. Since then, I've had repeated dreams of premonitions, usually involving impending pregnancies or sickness, talking to deceased loved ones that had messages for the family, paranormal phenomenon, and uncanny synchronicities that point to past lives. I've always felt grateful to live such a magical life. And then I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in my 30s. That, compounded with being a single mom of two neurodivergent sensitive boys, was more than my stress levels could take. I pushed all the woo-woo aside and just focused on surviving. Now that my boys are both grown, and I'm looking at what the second half of my life is going to look like, I find myself falling back into my spirituality and exploring my gifts further. Once I began meditating and speaking to my guides, it was like the doors to heaven opened with a grateful sigh. And now I'm rushing to educate myself and catch up. The dreams have come back full force. I'm working through past trauma with my shadow work, journaling like a beast, and this writer is excited to exercise her muscles again. Despite the gloriousness of this gift and all the richness of life it offers, I find this little voice in the back of my mind wondering if all the intuition, all the premonitions, all the dreams and visions, are they truly a gift? or are they the manifestation of mania? I am high-functioning, take care of myself, practice strict routines, and have only been hospitalized once when I was initially diagnosed 14 years ago. During those 14 years, I've raised two strong boys alone, have held an important job at a government office for close to 15 years, and am extremely stable. I tell myself that this is not a byproduct of mental illness and to not be afraid to surrender to the joy. And yet, I struggle with this nagging thought daily. I'm curious about your thoughts on this. Did you ever doubt yourself? And as seasoned empaths, how did you overcome the doubt? Do you know other empaths with mental illness? And can you share how they navigated through their journey? Wow. Well, I think that you are a wonderful writer, first of all, because that's that's just a beautiful email. And thank you for sharing your story. And the fact that you were able to get through all of this and do so so beautifully and with so much joy and gratitude and to have raised such such wonderful young men, I hope that alone helps you to chip away at the doubt. Now, when she says, how did you two overcome the doubt? Well, Denise, I don't know about you, but I still deal with doubt from time to time. And if I didn't have my validation journal, which has through the years has looked different. You know, it's not one journal that I've held onto for twenty years. It's different spiral bound, like ninety-nine cent notebooks I get at Walmart, but I have them all stacked up. If I didn't have those to look back on and go, "Oh yeah, I," "Oh yeah, how do, how could I have known that? I got that right." I don't know what I would do. That has been so important in helping me overcome doubt. Now, in terms of empaths with mental illness. I think everything is on a spectrum. And I think if you have if you have this this mania and I would imagine, I don't know, but I would imagine it comes with a feeling that is anxious and, and manic, which is where we get the expression from. Whereas when you're having these beautiful dreams and insights and, and visions of the other side, to me, I feel that that is accompanied by peace and love and joy and serenity, and does not feel anything like, like mania. And so I think what you need to follow is your own feelings and intuition on that. But I am not an expert. Um, I know, Denise, you don't have a counseling license either. But do you have any input?
1: I agree with you that I think we all doubt that because some of it is pretty interesting where we end up with our intuition or the signs we get or the <laughs> dreams we get or the synchronicities. But I I think that the fact that you're cognizant of when you're in a manic situation or when you're experiencing mania, that's part of the indicator of whether or not you're making a connection or not. When we're connecting with spirit, we're, we're le- allowing our Auric field to expand, we're allowing our consciousness to expand in order to connect with that expanded collective energy that we all have the virtue of of reaching out to. So I don't feel that it's the mania that's allowing you to do that or the um, mental illness. But again, I I don't have a, a degree that says that I can prescribe. There's a difference, there's a real difference when someone is not able to function in society or in their daily life because of the impact versus being able to manage it. And I I feel like that's kind of skating around the edge, but it's also, uh, if you're not feeling a mania episode during this, I would say that it's your intuition. As Samantha said, there's there's a spectrum to everything, but your, your writing is beautiful. Your words are beautiful. And I think that what you're sharing is going to help empower a lot of people that are listening.
0: I do too. And you know that expression, we all have a cross to bear. Mm -hmm. I think we all have crosses to bear, right? (laughs) And so we might have a cross to bear in our relationship area. We might have a cross to bear in our career stuff. I think when it comes to opening up and trusting our intuition, we all have our own unique cross to bear. You know, it might be other people's opinions. It might be the religion you were raised with. And it might be this, but we all have this struggle, this difficult dance with doubt. So just know that you're not alone with that. And I think it is absolutely fine to pester and annoy the hell out of your guides and keep asking them for validation. That has helped <laughs> me a lot. <laughs> Don't you though? It's so, it's so wonderful when you can say like, okay, I feel like that meditation experience was you and it was so wonderful. And I felt so great after, and you know, maybe it was all in my imagination. Maybe it wasn't. If it really was you, please show me a blue feather today. Yeah, And then, you know, you see that, that blue feather. I, I just think that's, that's a great thing. I asked for an owl last week for a sign for something I was like, "Mm, there's no way this, and I never see an owl. I think I've seen an owl twice in my life. And so I'm driving home from the gym and my mom calls me and she's like, Samantha, I'm out of cigarettes. You know, God forbid the world's coming to an end. So she said, can you please stop at a gas station and get me cigarettes? I'm like, all right, fine. So I pull into the, this random, I've never been to this convenience store, and I'm waiting in line, and one register is closed, and in front is a sign, I think it was white owl cigarettes. It was some type of nicotine, but it was a huge white owl. And
1: on that counts. And that
0: counts. <laughs> that counts. So th- thanks to my smoking mom, I got my sign. So just know that that can can help a lot with
1: eradicating doubt.
0: Okay, do we have time for one more?
1: Sure. Okay. A few years ago, I rescued a somewhat disabled senior Jack Russell dog named Buddy. Oh, Buddy. My goal was to give this little man a great retirement, and I hope to have him for at least a couple of years. After three wonderful years, he was in pretty rough shape. He had trouble walking and could hardly ever get comfortable enough to sleep more than a few hours at a time. In the last months, I had to share some of his pains. My right foot would hurt when his right side was hurting to the point I could barely walk. It took a few months past when I I know it was time to finally make the decision to put him down. When it was time, we were in the vet's office and he gave Buddy a sedative to help him relax. I held him in my arms while he got comfortable. When the vet came back 10 or so minutes later, We laid him on the table. I buried my face in my little man's neck, and the vet administered the shot. My emotional state was pure pain, and I was sobbing loudly. Yet somehow, at that moment, he left his body. My chest was filled with intense warmth, and I was overwhelmed with a feeling of relief and deep love. Once in the car and heading away, I realized what had just happened. My relief was his. The love was also his. I felt him transition. I felt that what he felt when he made the journey over the rainbow bridge. To know, to really know how it feels to go, to to know that our beloved pets really get the relief we hope they do, and that they're enveloped in love the moment they go has completely changed how I view the whole process. It's still not fun. I don't look forward to the next time I lose someone I love, pets included, but I do know that they are and will be more than okay. Oh, I love that story. And it's true. It's true. You can feel that pure, unconditional love, that connection. And what a beautiful gift for Buddy that you were there to let him know, but also that he gifted you back with that feeling of um, freedom and love and and beauty. So thank you so much for sharing this with us.
0: I just think it's one of the hardest choices to make. And I, I'm so grateful that this listener had that, not only that comfort of knowing, you know, it's almost like she had a shared death experience with him, a shared near death experience, like Raymond Moody writes about where she knew he had gone over that rainbow bridge and was free. I, I'm so happy that she had that. Cause I, I really do think this is such a difficult thing for anyone to have to face, but especially us empaths very, very hard.
1: And I respect from my deepest heart, people who rescue older animals and give them that quality of life, because that's another whole part of this story is to love, to care, to get attached and to not have that, that length of time. That's, that's pretty admirable.
0: It's so admirable. I mean, it's so hard to do. It's so hard to love these pets and know that God, it's just very, very hard, and I'm and and yet you and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they go on, that they're happy, that they can connect and communicate with us, and I I think it's it still doesn't help, you know what I mean? Because right. it's it's a different dimension, it's a different place, so it's still very, very hard, and I just appreciate this listener taking the time to share that with everyone. Okay, let's do one more. This listener says, when I was little, I remember having strong episodes of deja vu and I was always puzzled by these experiences. Today, I was laying in bed when I realized that everything around me, the whole moment, had been something I'd already experienced. It was my first deja vu experience in a long time. It made me look around the room and just say, whoa, what are your thoughts, opinions on experiencing deja vu and what it means? Okay. I love this question. I get deja vu um, quite, I don't know if I should say quite often, but it happens. I always am so happy when it happens because I read years ago that when you have deja vu, it's a sign that you are on your right soul path, that, that you're following the plan that your soul laid out for you before you came to earth and those little deja vu moments are like remember this is what we planned and they usually happen in very mundane moments it's not like you know when you got a new job and you're shaking your new boss's hand or uh you know when you meet the love of your life and you know it it's usually very mundane moments like when you're laying in bed like this listener was or when you are switching the washer into the dryer and and it's supposedly on purpose in those little mundane moments to let you know hey just a little heads up you are exactly where you are supposed to be in your life right now so i've always loved that explanation it really resonates with me i have read other things that have said deja vu happens when you are a part of you is aware that you are living parallel lives and those parallel lives are bumping into each other. And I think that's interesting too. What do do you think?
1: I heard that first one that it's kind of a checkpoint. You're on the right track that we, and I, I remember when I read this years and years and years ago, it was that we put those into the contract almost as checkpoints on the, on our path, on our life's path. So when we have those and that instant recognition, I think it's fun. I love that feeling of deja vu. It's like, ooh, this happened before. I felt it. Or are maybe we are in a different dimensional realm and we're doing this. That's one of those things I don't think we're going to really know until we're out of the suit. Um, <laughs> but but I um I love this this story as well because this this note is just so fun. Deja vu is a really cool experience.
0: It is and it reminds you that there's there's magic all around in the world, and there's so much that we don't know and we'll never know until we go over there too. and And I love that. I love contemplating what's that famous quote, You know, lean into the questions. Don't necessarily seek the answers. Just lean into the questions. I think that's so. So wonderful to be able to do that. Thank you so much for sending in your experiences, your stories, and your questions with us. If you want to share a story or a question with us, you can email us, enlightenedempaths at gmail.com. Don't forget to join us on our Facebook page, Enlightened Empaths. And if you want to connect with Denise or me, you can check out our website, samanthafay.com or thegratefulmessenger.com.
1: In the past, Samantha and I have offered a really fun intro class, Mediumship 101, due to different constraints in both of our lives. We're going to shift that a little bit, and I'm going to be offering that on my own in the month of November. It'll be a slightly different format than what we've done in the past of Meeting Weekly. This will be held on two Saturday afternoons, Eastern Standard Time. You'll still have access to all of the information and meditations and, and practice exercises and personal exercises, but it'll be a more content time frame. So if you'd like more information on that, you can go to my website, thegratefulmessenger.com, go to online classes and there'll be a description and a link to sign up. If you have any questions about this, you can email me, Denise at thegratefulmessenger.com. And I'm more than happy to, um, give you more information.
0: Thank you guys so much. Have a great week and remember as always to show up, do great work and share your light. Take care.